0: Welcome to the "Coming In for a Landing" podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Here's your host, Paul Hudrick. Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the "Coming In for a Landing" podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I'm your host, Paul Hudrick. Welcome back. I guess well, I'm am I. I guess I'm welcoming myself back, I'm welcoming you back to this podcast. I, I took a couple of weeks off. It was. Much needed from a mental standpoint, it was good to, for those of you who don't know, I do have a young son, he will be seven months very soon, and it was good to spend some time with him and kind of take a little break in between the end of the Sixer season and, of course, the draft, which we are going to delve into uh, a little later on, we'll talk about. Some of the guys that I like, some of the rumors out there, not rumors I should say, but like you know we did a mock draft roundup today. Tom West uh, took care of that and did an excellent job with that. Just some of the some of the guys that that some of the draft experts are looking at for the sixers at pick number 23. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And of course the the some of the offseason chatter, some of the reports and things that are circulating around the interwebs. we'll get into that. And of course, uh, I I think I want to start with the NBA finals uh, with that wrapping up Thursday night, the Warriors taking home their fourth championship in eight years, Steph Curry getting his first finals MVP. And I want to start there because I'm so happy for Steph Curry. I mean, I got to be like, I don't know, unless you're just like a a team that has lost to him. Like if you, if you just love LeBron, maybe, um, I, I could see why you don't. Why you dislike Steph Curry? But I, he's just such a likable guy to me. Um, he's great. First of all, just watching him, just so many moments in this series where I just like, I just said, "Oh man!" Like it's just he, he makes a move or he makes a shot. He just does something ridiculous. And quite frankly, uh, with with all due respect to a lot of the players on both teams who are really good players, nobody elicited those kind of reactions from me, like Steph Curry did repeatedly, like every game. Um, there there was, of course, like there were some big shots hit by again, by both, both teams, both sides. Al Horford obviously did. He played a hell of a series. Um, Jalen Brown at times, Jason Tatum at times. um, you know, even a guy like Jordan Poole, who is so crafty and so smooth, and some of the shots he hits, the tough contested ones he hits, even Clay Thompson at times, some of the threes he hit, you're like, oh, that looked a little bit more like vintage Clay. But nobody has more of those moments, especially in this, this final series and really this playoff run. No one has more of those moments than Steph Curry. And that's been the case really throughout his entire career. And the fact that he's still playing at this level – it's 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 so amazing, and, and like again, I, he is a joy to watch. He has changed the game of basketball. He has changed NBA basketball forever with the way he has shot the three ball, obviously the greatest shooter ever, the greatest shooter we've ever seen and may ever see, the greatest of all time. But I think when we say that, we minimize how great this guy is because not only is he the greatest shooter of all time, you look at what he has done – You know, even as, like, just a ball handler and how crafty he is, the way he moves through screens, the way he moves off the ball. I mean, I know that there is, you know, Steve Kerr has has talked about that a lot. Just the amount of movement he does, you know, he does off the ball. Like, he, like, the mileage-wise, like, no one has put more tread on the tires than Steph Curry, Uh, and to see him still do it at this level, it's, it's so impressive, and I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, so I'm not going to be like, oh, Steph needs to be here. He needs to be there, like, as far as rankings and, and guys all time, but damn, like, he he is up there. He he is in a conversation for, you know, whatever you want to say, top 10 all the time. I mean, I think he's got to be in that mix. Four championships, two MVPs, now a finals MVP, and, and to do it again at this level, at this age, he just deserves so much credit. And I think a lot of people in this area in the Delaware Valley were, were quite excited because the Celtics didn't win because how could we have emotionally handled that? Our mental health in this area would have been so poor had the Celtics won the championship without Horford, without Horford playing so well, we couldn't have handled it. It would have been so bad. Um, so I, I think we should all be grateful to Steph Curry for not letting that happen. Um, but it's not just Steph. You know, uh, this is a re- this Warriors team is really damn good and because they've been so prolific offensively, I think we all overlook how good they are defensively. Obviously Draymond, you know, a multi-time defensive player of the year guy who is the anchor of everything they do, but just as a team I think Steph's defense has actually gotten to a point where it's a little underrated because he's he's not a negative there, at least not like, you know, it's improved and his instincts are so good. He's such a smart player. Um, I think Klay Thompson, again, as great of a shooter as he is, he's still a pretty damn good defensive player. And he, you know, one of the reasons he was so valuable to those previous championship teams is that he is such a good two way player. You look at what Andrew Wiggins did in that series against Jason Tatum. He was remarkable and good for Andrew Wiggins too. Let's talk about that. Good for Andrew Wiggins. The guy was the number one overall pick. He was viewed as a franchise cornerstone for Minnesota. Jimmy Butler gets there and gives him the Scott Burrell treatment and and buries Wiggins into a shell. Um, Then the Warriors commit just highway robbery in that D'Angelo Russell trade to get Wiggins and Wiggins just fits per- – like, granted, it's kind of like Tobias Harris in a way that, okay, he's overpaid. Let's just get that out of the way. He's an overpaid player. He should not be a max player. That doesn't mean he doesn't add value to your basketball team if he's used correctly and if he buys into the role and if he's surrounded by other great talent. So I- I'm just so happy for Andrew Wiggins. I think it's such a wild career arc, but good for him – Um Being an All-Star this year, which you know we can debate the merits of that, but um, there's no debating that he was sensational for them in the finals. He really filled a great role for them. Again, did such a great job on Tatum. Really excelled in a defensive end of the floor, but again, the whole team did. It looked like early on in the series, the one thing the Celtics have done, even going back to when Brad Stevens was the coach, they attack mismatches maybe better than any team I've seen in recent years. Um, The Warriors are pretty damn good at it too, but they were picking on Jordan Poole so hard early in the series and they kept doing it. Quite frankly, they were doing it up until game 6. They picked on Jordan Poole um pretty heavily. But I will say this. One good for Jordan Poole cuz he fought. Right? Like he he's just he's never going to be a great defensive player, but much like Steph, like he just fought. He fought through it. He did his best. And then credit to the Warriors, credit to the players on the court, credit to Steve Kerr for adjusting and realizing, "Okay, this is what they're going to do. They're going to keep picking on Jordan Poole. We have to adjust." We have to send help when he, you know, when he's when he's got a really bad mismatch, you know, whether it's Tatum, whether it's Brown, whether it's Al Horford, whatever it is, we have to send help, and then we have to scramble, and we have to do it. And um, credit to them for doing that. And, and I don't want to take anything away from Steph's greatness, and and it's clear and evident that they don't win this series without Steph Curry. He was the MVP for a very good reason, but their defense um, was so good. And it's been such a it's been a pillar of why they've gone to eight championships and won four of them. Like it's a really big part of it. Um, so credit to them as a team. I want to pivot a little bit and say like and kind of focus on what can the Sixers take away from the Warriors winning the championship. They don't have Steph Curry, so that's that's a problem. <laughs> but they do have an MVP caliber player in Joel Embiid. Um, and I think what you saw with the Warriors. Again, the team defense, everyone buying in on the defensive end of the floor, and even offensively, everyone buying in and just, and just working around Steph and just making that all work with their movement and all of that and their passing, it's just a very unselfish basketball team. So I think you can learn there. Certainly, again, the depth. Uh, when you go up and down this roster, it, you know, Steve Kerr being willing to adjust I think is a big deal too, quite frankly, whereas Doc Rivers, obviously we've known him to be rigid. And so I think that is is something the Sixers can learn from. But if you look up and down their roster, they're just deep. Uh, you know, I already talked about Wiggins. A guy like Otto Porter Jr. helped them at times. Gary Payton II was excellent for them. Um, Bielitsa even had his moments. Former Sixers great. Nemanja <laughs> um, Bielitza had his moments. Uh, Kavon Looney is a really an unsung hero, too. The, the way he hits the way he hit the offensive glass for them, the way he hit the defensive glass for them, his switchability on on, on the perimeter at times. Kevon Looney is another guy who's an excellent piece to this ro- to this rotation. Obviously, Iguodala didn't have it, clearly. Um, I thought it was a cool move, by the way, for Steve Kerr to get him out there in the final minutes of the game. I thought that was awesome. Uh, good for Iggy for getting an, another ring, and I, I, I would hope that he just rides off into the sunset now. That would be a very cool way for him to do so, but... You look at a guy like a Juan Toscano Anderson, who, quite frankly, I think might look good in red, white, and blue uh, on one of these exceptions. He he couldn't even get off the bench. Um, You look at their young depth with Jonathan Kaminga, with a Moses Moody. This is a well-built basketball team. It's a a deep, well-built basketball team that has a really good mix of veterans, of young guys, and it it worked sensationally for them, and that's why they are champions. But when you look at the Sixers, you know, uh, Jackson Frank, has been doing these really great free agency previews of guys the Sixers could could target, and I think every guy that he has done so far clearly could add something to this roster, and is is, is, is it, it, they they fit holes that this roster has. And the guy that he did for Thursday was Gary Payton II. Now look, and Jackson states it very explicitly. Uh, I see no reason why he would leave the Warriors. I don't. But if you were interested in leaving the Warriors. The Sixers could give him a real nice, soft landing here. And I think when you watch what Gary Payton II has turned himself into, man, Matisse Stiebel should just watch that film, right? Like, that that's thats what he should be. Hit corner threes, make great smart cuts, and finish at the rim. Um, that's a guy that if if I'm the Sixers, I'm telling Matisse Stiebel, lock yourself in a room, watch Gary Payton II tape on the offensive end of the floor to see how he maximizes... What he has because Matisse Thiebel is a really good athlete, right? Like, not only is he a great defensive player, we all know that, you know, what he can do as far as deflections and getting in the passing lanes, getting the blocks, and, you know, there's rear view contests and what he's really good at on the defensive end, but he's unplayable offensively in the playoffs, and that showed. So look at a guy like Gary Payton II and look at how he adds value to a team. And as Jackson so astutely pointed out, what he does off of great players like a Steph Curry. What he could do here off of a Joel Embiid and a James Harden, and how Matisse could could maybe take that and, and transform that to his game. Because I don't think Gary Payton II is a realistic option for the Sixers, but you never know. Again, Juan Toscano-Anderson is a guy that could be a, a guy that can play the three, can play the four, high energy, great teammate, great off the character, has that you know quote unquote dog mentality, where he'd be an excellent fit here. Um, you know, I, I I could certainly see them offering him a role here. And he'd look a lot better than a lot of the options the Sixers had in the postseason. And then, of course, Otto Porter Jr. is another guy that, yeah, up and down, uh, certainly, but I would not be opposed to it. Like, uh, quite frankly, he's better than what George Niang gave the Sixers in the postseason. Um, Not to, you know, I I don't want to kill George Niang too much because I know he had a knee injury and all that, but... You know, I would view Otto Porter Jr. as a upgrade over him. And maybe that maybe it's more realistic if you're able to move Tobias Harris, which we're going to touch on. Um, and we'll actually touch on that on the other side. We're going to take a quick break, but more of the coming in for a landing podcast right on the other side.
1: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge
0: All right, and we are back, and I want to get into now the draft, and I'm definitely going to touch on some of the off-season slop, as we like to call it, um, some of the Sixers reports that have come out this week. I want to certainly get into those, but first I want to touch on the draft. Today I wrote a profile on Arizona's Dale and Terry. I love this guy. Like, love this guy. At pick 23 for the Sixers. I don't know that I like anyone else more than him. He is such an outstanding fit. You talk about a Swiss Army knife. This guy could do everything on the basketball court. He's six seven. He's got an, a seven foot one wingspan, um, a, a eight ten standing reach. Like one of the long, tallest, longest quote unquote guards at the draft. And I think that's what's beautiful about him is that he's not a guard. He's not a forward. He is just a basketball player. Like um, he's such a good playmaker at six foot seven. I was really impressed by his passing. He was second in the Pac-12 in assist-to-turnover ratio. He's a pretty good rebounder off the wing with that size, with that athleticism. He led the break a lot. Kind of did, like, I don't, like, I see a lot of what, like, what some of the things that the Sixers missed with Ben Simmons. That's what Terry can do. Um, He can rebound, pull the ball off the rim, lead the break the other way, finish in transition, or find guys on the wing, you know, and, and get those transition threes. He's a big playmaker. He can guard one through three in certain matchups, maybe one through four, depending on who the other team's four is. Uh, versatile. Gets in the passing lanes. Average over a steal a game. Uh, and just high energy, man. Like, you talk about a dog. This guy's a dog. Like, he, he wants to play, and he wants to play hard. He was a role player at Arizona, and that's what he's going to be early on in his NBA career. And he talked so much. Like, he... The interview process, all the media he has done, he he has sparkled through it, like sincerely sparkled through it. in In the profile I, I shared, he did a an interview with Mike Schmitz at the NBA Combine, and I am telling you, man, he hits on like it's like a Sixers fans draft target bingo card. The way he hits on everything, like talking about him being like he's you know he's got to be a dog, you know he's a gym rat. Um, loves the game, needs to be a great teammate, like all of these things. And it's like, wow, like he is is he talking to Daryl Morey? Like, is he trying to to hit on all this stuff for Daryl Morey? Like it it's he's so impressive off the court and his personality and the way he talks. He shot thirty six percent from three last year on a low volume. So that's not great from a college standpoint, but it was a vast improvement from his freshman year, and I just I see what Maxie has done with that with that work ethic. Maxie shot below 30% from 3 at Kentucky. He was over 42% this year. Like I see no reason why Terry will not continue to develop and continue to ascend as a shooter. Meanwhile, the other aspects of his game are all there. Um he can shoot, he can pass, he can dribble, he can defend. He's tough, he's long, he's physical. Like he has he is the total package and He's still 19 years old, he'll turn 20 in July, and I know there's going to be, and I get it, there's going to be cynicism. Cool, you're going to draft the guy, Doc isn't going to play him. I get it, and he might not, but I think he might be able to defend enough, and I think too, something that perhaps we overlook with players. Like, I know a lot of people love Torrey Eason, and I, and I get it. It, it, Tory Eason's there at 23, Um. The Sixers should probably draft him. I mean, he, hes I, I get a lot of what people like about him, but I see like the difference, and I'll be honest, I like Terry more than I like Eason, and I know that's controversial, that's a hot take, but I'll tell you why. Feel. Terry just has a feel for the game. He knows how to play the game of basketball, and I think that's something that when you're looking at a player that Doc Rivers could potentially play, I think Terry has that feel, feel and he knows how to fit in and I think that's why he could get minutes as a rookie I think he could earn Doc Rivers trust and get them am I being maybe slightly optimistic in that regard perhaps but I, I do I think Terry's a guy who could earn that trust right away from a veteran coaching staff and from veteran players and step right into a role and play immediately um, now I don't want to reveal too much my my boss my new boss Harrison Fagan might be mad at me for doing this but uh, we're doing a, a uh, a a community mock draft at SB nation and Daniel terry was off the board before 23 which is crazy because uh most projections you see he goes kind of late first um which he had some phenomenal comments on that if if again if you want to check out my draft profile over on libertyballers.com but terry's off the board so i had to go in another direction and i see espn and bleacher report both had the sixers taking jaden hardy uh, from the G League Ignite team. And I get why that's not a pick that's going to excite a lot of people. Because um, he's he's very young. Very raw. Didn't light it up necessarily in the G League. But I think for an 18-year-old playing at the professional ranks behind a three-point line, there is a lot of stuff to like about him, man. Um The ability to get off shots as an 18-year-old in the professional ranks is not something I think you sneeze at. Like, part of what made Allen Iverson so great, despite the fact that, you know, he's viewed, obviously, now by analytics people as extremely inefficient, the ability to simply get shots off is a skill. And I think Jaden Hardy has that. And I think Jaden Hardy has it in two different ways. I think he's got the handle and he's got some ISO ability – But he can also run off screens and do a little bit. I I know Kevin O'Connor, the Ringer, who does such a great job with draft content. He one of the comparisons he he made with Hardy was Beal, and it's not that's and I think what 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 KOC does well is he gives you Beal as like kind of the ceiling, right? Like that's the best case scenarios he's going to be Bradley Beal and then he gives you other guys that he might be on the lower end of the spectrum I know Sam Vecini um, of the Athletic compared him to maybe a Lou Williams which I think is also fair and you know Lou becoming one of the best bench scorers in NBA history could Hardy Hardy be a guy like that perhaps so I think you know and then there's everything in between right Um, I get a little bit of a Donovan Mitchell vibe at Louisville I see a little bit of that Um where you know the efficiency and the shot selection needs to improve but the audacity is there, and the ability to get shots off is there, and that's a start. And so um, that's where I like it. And the reason I go hardy there is because all of these wings, these really good wings that can maybe fill a void, that can maybe fit what the Sixers need right now, whether it's a Torrey Easton, whether it's a, 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 um, a Dale and Terry, um, a Baji from Kansas, all those guys are off the – you know probably gonna be off the board at 23. Jalen Williams from Santa Clara is a guy I like a lot, but I don't think he's gonna make it now to 23 the way it's looking. So with all those guys coming off the board, I think you have to take the best player available. And I think Hardy is that in the in this in two ways. One, maybe you draft him, he learned some things from James Harden, and he becomes like that Lou Williams for you right away, right? And he, he's like a microwave scorer off the bench. We saw what Cam Thompson did or Cam Thomas did for the Nets this year. And you know, yeah, of course he wasn't in the playoff rotation, but he helped them win regular season games as a microwave scorer off the bench. Maybe Hardy could do that this year. Um, or maybe he's a guy you just and, – and eventually he he takes over for Harden, right? As Harden's contract ends, maybe Hardy is the guy that steps into that role. And him and Maxi are kind of your future, which is, quite frankly to me, very intriguing. Um, or maybe you send Hardy down to the G League. He just scorches it for the Blue Coats, And then either at the trade deadline or in the offseason – it's another attractive trade piece to maybe find that missing guy, that 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 star to add to Embiid and, and Harden. So, I that's the direction I went, and I could see the Sixers going that way. Look, the last two years, they take taken nineteen year old guys, you know, in Maxi and Springer, varying degrees of success. The jury will still be very much out on Jaden Springer. You can't judge a guy that young this early, so we'll see. But I'm intrigued by Hardy's talent. There's a lot to like there. And I could see him becoming a prolific scorer at the NBA level. And when we're talking about trades and guys they could add and stars and all that, some interesting reports coming out this week. First, Jake Fisher of uh, Bleacher Report basically saying James Harden's not going to get the max, which I think we all felt pretty comfortable wasn't going to happen. And that we're looking at more of perhaps the the opt-in and then a two-year extension, which surely does not give the Sixers optimal wiggle room this offseason. But, you know, knowing you're going to have James Harden for the next three years and not exceeding that, I think you could view as as mostly a win for the Sixers. I am of the optimistic belief that James Harden, with a healthy offseason, with that hamstring fully recovered, with a full season of playing with Joel Embiid, I think it'll look a lot different. I'm not expecting Houston James Harden, but I think Brooklyn James Harden is a fair expectation um going into next season and again just the familiarity with doc and the system with Tyrese Maxey with Joel Embiid and some of the other pieces I get it I have felt all along and I've said this on many of our podcasts whether it's this one or or some of our others for Liberty Ballers the only players on this roster that are untouchable are Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey and then of course they want to retain James Harden I think everything else is on the board and you saw Keith Pompey in his report saying that the team is exploring, you know, trades for Tobias Harris, Matisse Thibel, Furkan Korkmaz, and Shake Milton. I have been told that you know the idea that the Sixers are, are leaning towards not picking up Shake Milton's option. I've been told that, that the the characterization of that from the Enquirer is quote off the mark. So I would imagine that Shake Milton's option gets picked up. We'll see. Nothing definitive there, and who knows? Maybe you know. Maybe they are exploring a trade, and that that's, you know, that's going to be a factor. But we'll see. But back to the original point, yeah, I fully believe the Sixers. The only guys that you can't get on this roster are Embiid and Maxi, and then they're going to retain Harden. Anything else, I think, is on the table. Um, and that's just from the people I've talked to, and then and then also just me. Like when you, I think, any sensible person looking at this team sees that that's where they are, right? Like the, the those are the, the guys they build around. Everything else is up for grabs. Um, Tobias Harris in that contract is not going to be easy to move. And I don't, but here's the other thing too. They're not giving Tobias Harris away. They're not giving Matisse Seibel away. Like they're not going, they don't view these guys as, ah, we got to look to unload them. They're looking at it as we're going to trade these guys. If it makes us better, if it gives us more flexibility. So You know, when you're looking at your trade machines, you're looking at deals, if you have basically the Sixers just dumping Tobias Harris, I don't see that happening. I I think the only way they quote-unquote dump him is if they get something of value in return. They're not just going to move on from these guys for the sake of... Like, I think... And maybe Sixers fans don't want to hear, and and I'm sorry if, if, if this upsets you, but I think this organization is comfortable running it back while adding a draft pick to 23 or perhaps, you know, maybe a trade. I, I I tend to think they're going to add a player unless something comes up where they can add an obvious upgrade while moving 23. I I think, so I think they're comfortable running it back with what they have, adding a player at 23 and then adding a player or two with exceptions and, and minimums. And I don't think that's totally unreasonable. Um, this will kind of be to me, and this is not any inside information. This is just me saying I, I believe this will sort of be a make or break year for Doc Rivers. If they don't advance past the second round, I think they're the questions and the and the whispers and the murmurs are just going to get louder and louder. Now the team has made it very abundantly clear that they are behind Doc Rivers. They believe in Doc Rivers, but if you waste another year of Joel Embiid's prime by not moving past the second round of the Eastern Conference, you, you got to start looking inward, right? I mean, that, that's granted. There's context. There's things that happen. You have to look at the whole picture, but I think that's a fair assumption that if this doesn't, if this season doesn't go well, the Sixers might explore their options after that, right? Like that might happen. Um, again, that's no inside information. That's just me speculating. And then beyond that, I, I think that's when, again, the off season, next off season, you look at Tobias Harris and that contract then becomes an expiring one. And then also you have this pick at 23, this player that might develop and might turn into a trade piece. Maybe Jaden Springer, who knows, lights it up in the G League and he makes himself a a, a trade piece. So to me, next offseason, I know people, again, people are not going to be happy to hear that, but I feel like next season becomes the offseason where that third star maybe is is, going to be, is going to have a, 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 A more realistic chance of happening to acquire maybe the deadline who knows like guys come available all the time that you don't expect to become available maybe that happens at this deadline and they can make something happen but i don't think that's this offseason i think this offseason is again finding the necessary pieces to help those top three players and i think they're going to be more complimentary than they are star pieces I do think that those weren't just hollow words when they're talking about adding, like you know, the, the veteran "quote unquote" dog, or adding that you know, the, the tough guy, um, adding players that that have that postseason experience that can add a little toughness to the team. I don't think that's hollow words from from the players or from the organization. I think the Sixers are going to look to add those PJ Tucker type of guys, and so adding those guys to this mix with a healthy Joel Embiid and a healthy James Harden and an improved Tyrese Maxey, I I think there is some reason for optimism there, right? Like, I I don't think you have to necessarily add a Bradley Beal to do that. Now, if Bradley Beal becomes available, sure. I'm all ears for that. But I don't think this is the offseason that happens. I don't think the Bradley Beal or the Zach Levine thing happens this offseason. I'd be happy to be wrong about that. But I think the Sixers fans should prepare themselves for a solid... If not, but maybe not spectacular offseason. And I think that that, the organization viewing themselves in that way, I think personally is fair. But we'll see. We'll see as we get a little closer. We got the draft coming up next week. Free agency immediately following that. So a lot could change over the course of the next couple weeks. And this organization and this roster could look a lot different. Uh, We will find out soon enough. But I want to thank all of you so much for taking the time to listen to the Coming In for a Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Please check out all of our great content over at LibertyBallers.com. I am Paul Hudrick, the community producer of Liberty Ballers, and I will talk to you guys next time.